Welcome. We trust you will be encouraged by this message from Bonnie Chavda by Chavda Ministries International. Real love, real people, real power. Good morning, saints. Behold him indeed. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. This morning, I have in my heart a message that for me personally is full of joy and significance for all of us that we perhaps focus on too little. And just before we get to that, I want to just give you a couple of testimonies. And the first one is that in Friday night in the watch, we were joined by a pastor from Kiev in Ukraine who is the father of seven children. Uh, together, he and his wife, when the first bomb fell, the Lord spoke to him, and he took his family and exited, and they wandered. They had uh, an incredible journey. In some nights, he said to me on Friday night, his children sleeping on the ground, and eventually made their way to the U.S., and they are actually being sheltered in New Jersey by a Jewish family. And the thing that he wanted to communicate, he flew here to be in the watch on Friday night and then return. And he wanted to tell us that years and years ago, when our book on the hidden power of prayer and the whole concept of the watch went out, he was able to get a hold of a copy of it. And he read it, and their churches in Kiev started the watch. And they embraced, in addition to all the things of the watch, the prophetic unction and the foundations of the church and corporate prayer and watching and praying together, they also embraced prayer for Israel and the Jewish people. And he testified that he knew that God's salvation for he and his family had come as a direct result of those years of praying in the watch. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And so we welcome you once again to consider putting the watch as an important piece of your own spiritual journey and training. Hallelujah. And the second thing is, I would like to hear the freshest testimony from what's happening in our schools. Diane, if you would come and tell us, my friend. Rich, if you can give her the microphone. And if you would, just stand right up here and let us know what happened this week. Go ahead. Okay. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Just wanted to share. Oh, my gosh. Don't even know where to begin because it was so awesome. Thursday night, we had the prayer walk. Um, one more prayer walk before. And I don't even know where to begin. Well, I'm going to try to begin here. We had in the auditorium because it was rain or shine. So no matter what, we were gonna have it. So we had uh, three baptismal troughs set up in the auditorium. And- um, Church, one, excuse me. It's a school. Did you hear what she said? School auditorium. Three baptism troughs set up in the school auditorium. We had live worship music. Um, and prior to getting the baptism troughs, one of the ladies who has her ministry, Heart for Monroe, 
she went to purchase a third trough. Now, she didn't know why, but she went. So she said she was in the store purchasing it, and the store clerk, they were trying to find a price, and the store clerk said to her, um, is this baptism for this uh, trough for East Union Middle School? And she says, yes. For the baptism tonight? And she says, yes. So that lady left her job after she got off work, and she came out because she wanted to see for herself what was actually wow, going on. on. And this was just one of the local stores that she went to, and they had already heard what was happening. And so we, um, of course, had the students in the gym, those that wanted to uh, attend, because we sent out a letter for those that just wanted to attend to see the baptism. They didn't have to participate. Uh, they just couldn't watch. But the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. <laughs> when uh, I was sitting down and one of the students had went missing, so we thought. And so they came and got me. and. I got some other people, so we went to look for this very same student. Well, that was the first student for the baptism. Yeah. The very first student. So, um, and the student's name is prophetic. Imagine is the first name. Imagine. Wow. So that was the wow. first person to be baptized. Imagine. And so it was... At that point, it, we had the worship music, um, and when the student came up to get baptized, that was just the first person, and it was like a 10-minute, because it seemed like that was only going to be that one person, that one person for that whole time. So it was like a 10-minute time, but the pastor was like, we're going to worship. We're going to worship. He said, so let's worship. And as we worship, I kid you not, they started coming. They just got out. A young boy came. Um, and the reason why I wanted Deanna, because I was in and out. And she has the other part to the testimony. So she has the other part. So that's why I want her. Is that OK? Yes, if you're going to come, let's come. Yes, Praise because, the Lord. So I'll just feed in off of her. All right. She, both of us. Is there another? Hold the mics close to your face, please. Rich, we need a little help. Thank you. Yeah. Is there another mic there? That's right. Okay. Well, while we're waiting, so I was in and out um, with the people and trying to facilitate other things with the other pastors and, and, and things. So after that 10-minute lull, a young boy had came up. And? So he got baptized, and... Um, Shortly after that, his mother came up, received the Lord, get baptized. And obviously, it was not that they lined up for baptism. It happened in that service that the people decided. And you could clearly see we positioned ourselves in the back of the auditorium. And you could see the Holy, Holy Spirit moving over a particular area. You know, and um, I guess you was asking. I had went to ask, as I was passing, I had went to ask one of the students, 
uh, are you getting baptized? And they were like, no, I'm not getting baptized. No, I'm just, I'm like, okay, okay, it's okay. And so I went on and I started praying in the spirit after I left. Uh-huh. And so I went on around and then. So finally, I guess all of us three, we prayed and we could see it. You know, you could see, literally see that the Lord steered up their hearts. It was kind like, and then finally, one get up and five others or four others followed. And it was like a wind, you know, rushed towards us and we could all feel it. And from there on, it, it was on and on and on. So I'm, it, it was a very unique atmosphere. And uh, you wanna? Yes, it was a unique at- atmosphere. And the worship music was, the way it was played, the way they worship, it was like pulling, like an invitation, just pulling, pulling, pulling. And like I said, Virgie and James, I would really like all of us because it's all part of, is that okay? Virgin James. Virgin, get, there they are. All right. Come so on. Come on. We, it's We're going to get the whole, whole story. story. This is like Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. Okay. There's much more to it. Oh, it's much more. So <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so it was, the music was like, oh, Deborah, Deborah too. And the music was pulling, pulling, pulling. And as the students began to come up, uh, the five that came after I left, one of the uh, elders' wife had came over, and I saw that she had two of the ones, the very one that told me, oh, I'm not getting baptized. She had her, the Lord had her attention through her, so they were engaged, and she said as she was talking to the two, the three leaned in. That's how it became five. Wow. Wow. Come on, come on, come on. Well, Deanna and um, Deborah and I were stand, sitting in the back, and it was just so precious and so powerful. And we were just praying. We were just praying because Pastor Dave had said to us earlier, you know, he said, I just need you all to pray. I just need you all to pray. And the first young lady who was baptized, her name is Imagine. I just felt like that was so appropriate for the Lord. Imagine this. Imagine this happening in a school. What? And if we can imagine that, we can imagine anything because God is capable of doing anything. And that's exactly what he is doing in this school and in these children. And and I didn't know that the... the, um, principal was standing behind me, Diane said, and, and that young lady, she just has such a precious, precious heart. So tender and so broken and so much love for these children. And it is so obvious and evident, and I just believe the Lord is just going to use that woman to, to minister to other principals, other people who are in her community and in the school system. And I just believe that God is just going to cause her passion and love that he has put into her heart for, for him to be known to these children is just going to um, permeate them. 
And it is such a move of the Lord. And again, we were praying for those that group of children. I don't. We didn't know that we were all praying for the same group of children. <laughs> but you could see the but Lord hovering see. over. Yes, and, ma'am. And uh, yeah. saints, church, this is one of the things, one of the elements that God is teaching us and equipping us for. And that is that, and it, it's resident with us. It's just a matter of awakening to recognize Him as he is, when he is present, and then be able to join in together with him as his, his uh, vessels, if you will, on earth of what he is intending as he's present in the spirit. So that's very, very key. And again, I'm going to put in a plug for the watch. We've been doing the watch every Friday, 26 years. And for me and for many, that is the place that we actually have been discipled on hearing and responding to the voice of the Lord. And I'll just throw this in. For me, one of the ways that it really serves me is that I work over the message and I study and I write notes and I do all kinds of stuff. But I'll tell you what, the Lord never gives it to me until I enter this sanctuary. And trust me, it, you know, it, it's a big deal not to waste your time or his but to be able to hear and let those words flow out. And to whatever feeble degree that I am still learning that, it's the watch week to week that continues to equip and train me. So in my own life, that thing of being able to see where the spirit is and hear him and then enter in, it's a beautiful thing. So please consider adjusting your schedule, if at all possible, to be a part of the watch in an ongoing way. So y'all go ahead. And all it was is just engaging. Um, when we walked into the um, hallway, um, we were sitting up, you know, for lunch. And um, when we walked in the auditorium, everybody was just really nice. And, you know, it was just very laid back. And when you walk in, you can feel the Holy Spirit there. And like the ladies and James and Virgin was saying, we'll just engage and just praying for all the ones that need to touch God. I, I would like to say two more things uh, which st- stood out to me, and I hope the last one is an encouragement for you all. Um, the whole thing they set it up was the pastor talked to the churches all around this area and invited them to engage, right? And so it was kind of like um, there was uh, no competition there. It was a very smooth going. And the thing was, on his mind was, we feed them, we baptize them, and we try to make sure that they are uh, plugged in in one of the local churches. You know? That's awesome. And then he said... Uh, we want to laugh on you, we are family, we want to feed you, we want to teach you, basically equipping. And I was thinking, that's kind of like the upper room, right? It's kind of like they came together, 120 people, one mind, one heart, one accord, waited on the Holy Spirit. That's what we did there. And, you know, it's kind of like that's how it operates. And uh, another thing, Miss Dunn talked to me in the first hour this morning. <laughs> so we had a talking on the phone. And uh, what I not know, and that is basically where I want you 
to be encouraged. Uh, that prior, before she was even plugged into the school, there was a woman walking the aisles of the, or the floors of the school praying. So she took a torch. Uh, is it a torch? No, it's a, ba uh, it's a, a baton. Well, the, the baton. She took it on and marched for, for years. And then she tried to pass it on to somebody else, right? And then she came in and took the baton. You know, and my encouragement is wherever the Lord planted you, you know, and I know when we started out the watch at nighttime, when we prayed, we passed on the baton. You know, yeah. that is something specific. Is it, is it your neighborhood? Is it your working place? You know, it's, there's so many testimonies, you know, what I could say from people. They said, okay, I do it. You know, I, I basically, um, what do you call it? Work the ground. Mm. So in order the Holy Spirit can fall. And before the upper room, it was Jesus who walked the ground, right? Yeah. So I, I hope you're encouraged with that, you know, and wherever the Lord put you, take on yes. the tongue. And God wow. will give you the strategies, that, yeah. and that's the, that's the thing. We, we are all, no matter where we are at, we're on assignment, mm -hmm. no matter where we're at. We just have to hook up with the Holy Spirit and find out what we're supposed to do on that assignment. So, again, I, and it goes back to what I, uh, the Lord said. All he needs is our yes, and he'll do the rest. Amen. That's all he needs. It's just for us to say, I will go, I will do. I'm not going to try to figure out all the in-betweens because we can't. And when he's moving, just move with him. Amen. Amen. Brother James, did you have something that you wanted to add? You look like you got a little, huh? no. put, a, put a point on it. <laughs> Nothing? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Oh, okay. Absolutely. Right. Um, what, what drew me in was, number one, the conversation with, with Diane. And she began to tell me about the story and her classroom and the school. And then she mentioned the baptism. I said, what? Where? She said, in school. It will happen at our school. I've never heard of no. anything no. like that. Yeah. Can you imagine? Hey, come on. In school. Come on. You have, a, you have an organization called C2J. Now, these are children, our youth. C2J, committed to Christ. I'm, I'm sorry, committed to Jesus. I'm like, what? Yeah. C2J? Come on. But um, what took me, um, what impressed me more than anything, all the, uh, the young, the students, the boys and the girls, they had a organized um, way that they baptized in. And they had four ways for the, for the children to come in. They said, you may be recommitting yourself to Christ. You could be searching for salvation. And um, the other one was, um, you're already a believer, and this is what baptism is to you. So they took them through, each one of the, each one of the students before they were baptized, they went through a, like a five sheet, and it took them through an understanding of what they were doing. 
They remove the emotional part across and walk them through wow. their wow. salvation wow. and Praise walk them the through baptism so that they absolutely knew what baptism was. Oh, wow. Imagine that. Say imagine that. And, and the last Thank thing, you. this shirt that I'm wearing, this is what each student was given upon baptism. Upon them entering into and the water to be baptized. And if you can see baptized. it, it's got the waters there. Do you see that in, in blue in the middle? It's the waters of baptism. It says raised Praise to life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Pastor Bonnie, I just wanted to say that a couple of Sundays ago, I told Diane, I said, you're a, you're a d dot connector. And there's all these dots that are waiting yeah. to be connected. And Amen. So Amen. Amen. We're so proud of you guys. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, thank you more, Lord. Make it so. Say, engage. Engage is one of the signs. When you come in, apparently the school has engaged as their theme right now. So, praise the Lord. Come on. Come on, come on. And by the way, way, I think you know that that encouragement, exhortation from the Lord for us on Engage for 2022 came in the New Year's Watch. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Say connect the dots. <laughs> Imagine. Engage. So this morning, I would like for us to start with the scripture in Matthew, seven, uh, Matthew 16, the last verse of Matthew 16, if you have your Bibles, you can open your Bibles, and I believe even if you don't, we have the scripture ready for you. So if you could put it up, and let me see which version, Ed, you're going for. Mm -hmm. All right. Are we ready? And this is the word of the Lord. Can we just stand and honor and receive the word of the Lord? It is alive and active and full of power and is speaking to and nourishing us today. You ready? This is the end of chapter 16, beginning of chapter 17 of Matthew's gospel. And remember that initially or originally there were no chapter verse separations as though they were these weeks, months, and grand times that separated, you know, the ongoing narrative of Scripture. So here we go. Ready? Assuredly, I say to you, let's say it together, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, say behold. Behold. Moses and Elijah appeared, say appeared, appeared. to them, talking, say talking, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, 
a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them. Say, Jesus came and touched them. Say, touch them. Look at your neighbor and say, touch them. Ask your neighbor, has he touched you? Let him touch you today. He touched them and said, arise. Say, arise. Look at your neighbor and say, get up. Do not be afraid. Come on, do not be afraid. Minister that to your neighbor. Just prophesy over them. Say, do not be afraid. Hallelujah. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one. Say, no one. But Jesus only. Say, Jesus only. Hallelujah. Amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. So, of course, we know that this is the record of the transfiguration. That moment on the mountain when those three got a personal material, say not, they were not ghosts. They were not ghosts. They were persons. Persons in material bodies, not bodies subject to death necessarily when we speak of Moses and Elijah because representing both the law and the prophets, those two men were real men and they had been long dead. But suddenly in this moment, they are shown to be alive and well and fully functioning on what? On the ongoing redemptive narrative of God. And there are a couple of things that are a few things that, that I'd like for us to understand or recognize this morning about the significance of the transfiguration and why it matters in the gospel narratives. And the first thing that I would like to point out is that immediately after this event, if you remember, they come down the mountain. And what's happening at the foot of the mountain? A whole crowd has gathered because the word about Jesus and his disciples has gone out. And in that crowd and hustle and bustle, and they're questioning the disciples and the scribes specifically who are representatives of the law are there and they're challenging the scribes because in that gathering, a man and his family has heard that Jesus is ministering in the area. And so the father has brought his son who has been demonized and held in the grips of epilepsy and other seizure and, and violent uh, roarings and uh, this, this spirit would throw the boy into the, into the fire, the cooking fire or the warming fire, would throw him into any body of water that they came near, and he was suffering greatly. And his parents were suffering greatly. And all the community knew about this kid. And as the father brings him to the disciples in Jesus' absence, they attempt to heal him, and they can't get it done. And then Jesus comes off the mountain with Peter, James, and John. And the first thing that I would like to say to you is that if you have a revelation, that is the gift of faith in your heart concerning Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of the world, you have already gone to the mountain 
and have been given this unique divine gift, which is worth all of your life, all of our lives, and is worth defending at all costs. This is a gift and a revelation. So just like James, John, and Peter, you have been caught up into the mountain. Friends, not everybody in the world, not even everybody who calls himself Christian has this living personal relationship and conviction of sure knowledge of who Christ is. So cherish that gift and don't just keep it in. So they come down off the mountain and God is calling us into our lives, our, our families, our communities, our church, our churches, our cities, to engage, to engage, to engage people, to engage the culture. They come down off the mountain, and immediately, Jesus sees the tormented boy. The scribes are saying, yeah, well, we brought him to your disciples. They couldn't do a thing. What do you say about that? And Jesus says, this kind goes not out but by prayer. All of the Gospels record that. A couple of them say, and fasting. And a possible discrepancy in that is that if we contemplate the whole story of Jesus, we know that he would often go into the mountain to pray and fast. And it is quite possible that one of the reasons, even that the disciples fell asleep when they were there on the mountain and woke up as they heard the men talking, was because, first of all, if you've ever been to Mount Hermon, uh, it's in the location of the headwaters of the Jordan, and it is a high mountain. And this would have been an arduous climb which we get the inference of that as we read the gospel stories. And it's possible that this was the first time that Jesus took with him those three men who would be commissioned to be heads of the church as it began to spring up in various places. And it's quite possible that together with him, they were fasting. And so perhaps the reason that in one of the Gospels, our Bible says by prayer and fasting is because the reporters of the day had heard the whole story and they knew that the event of the deliverance of this little boy was directly in the glory transmission of that time on the mountain in prayer and fasting. Praise the Lord. Are you with me? So that's... Um, there's, there's so much to, to talk about, but one of the first things, like I said, is to look at where this, uh, this event falls in the whole narrative. And if you remember the last verse that we read of Matthew 16, Jesus, this is on a different mountain. This is on Mount Tabor, a smaller mountain. Hermon is 9,000 feet high. Uh, Tabor is a little under 2,000 feet high. And the Bible says specifically they went into the high mountain. So two mountains, I suggest to you. In Tabor, there are now three basilicas which were built traditionally believing that this would have been the place. And Peter said, can we build these three tabernacles? And Jesus said, no, don't build them. And I personally believe, though they went ahead and built them hundreds and hundreds of years ago, they built them in the wrong place, just like Peter would have done. Anyway, Mount Tabor. But the significance of the connection is this. It was on Tabor. It was in the place that was known as the gates of hell. 
that Jesus confronted Peter and said, I know a lot of people think a lot of things about me. They may think that I'm a philosopher. They may think I'm a teacher. They may think that my principles are good for the whole world. But Peter, who do you know that I am? Who do you say that I am? And at that moment, Peter said, all that other stuff and everybody else's opinions aside, I know this. You are the Son of God. You are the Savior. You are the Messiah we have been looking for. And Peter's own personal identity was transformed in that moment of recognizing Jesus' identity. Say, behold him. And we know that Scripture says we are beholding him as in a mirror and being changed by the power of the Spirit as we behold him as he is in every season of our lives. He is continually opening and quickening and literally making a mirror image of himself in us. And when we see the diversity of the body of Christ, we see the magnificence, glory of God in all of his diversity and unity. Say, behold him. So the last, chap the last verse, or the, the very transition into the transfiguration comes as uh, in, in the immediate aftermath of this significant event on Mount Tabor where Jesus makes this proclamation. I am the rock. I will build my church on this rock. And the gates of hell, all the demonic principalities and powers, every corrupt and, and uh, perverse a system and person and spiritual and earthly will ultimately fail because I have come. So this was a direct announcement concerning kingdom power. Right? You got it? Are you there, church? Okay. So it's in that setting where Jesus then says to the people around, truly, I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here. Who is there? Peter, James, and John were there. Who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom, coming in power. That is a direct reference to Daniel chapter 7. So if we look at Daniel chapter 7, in verse 11, it's Daniel says, I kept looking, say keep looking, because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. We are hearing some very boastful, secular, cultural, anti-Christ, anti-God words right now. This is an old story that we're living through. However, we have the answer. I kept looking. Say, keep looking. Where are we looking? We're looking at Christ. We're gazing on him as he is. And there are places where you will find him in your prayer life, in the events of your life day to day, in your church gatherings, in your friends, your Christian friends. Praise the Lord. I kept looking until the beast was slain. Hallelujah. Come on. And its body destroyed. And given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away. 
but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. Guess what? We are still dealing with these wild beasts. Human governments that are without the lordship and revelation wisdom of God and his Christ. He says, I kept looking. Say, I kept looking. In the night visions. Inspiration for us from the watch, in the watch. And behold, say behold. With the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion. Say dominion. Glory. And a kingdom. That all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And I suggest to you as Jesus quotes this scripture in this event, he is testifying to what Peter, John, and James are about to see on the mountain. A revelation that the man clothed in human flesh is also the son of heaven, the king of glory. And they will see it with their eyes for the first time as they go up the mountain and are there with him in prayer. Praise the Lord. Can you say praise the Lord? So that's one of the things that I would like to mention. Um, and the fact that he comes down and delivers the voice. So um, in a nutshell... There's been a lot of, oh, but you know, they died and this and that and something else. They did not die before they saw the reality in the earth, in their life of who the Son of Man is and would be present with the saints. The King of Heaven who had just said the gates of hell will not prevail against what I'm about to do. And then he went down from the mountain and cast that demon out of the boy, healed him completely. And through that healing, healed a a whole family and a whole community. I'll never forget, we had a young man whose family were members of this church many years ago. Brilliant young man with a bright and powerful future in front of him and was an excellent student in one of the elite schools in town. And suddenly, he developed Tourette's. And it was so bad that he was having a tick every second, 60, 60 ticks a minute. And they continued to get worse and worse. It just so happened that the best specialist in the U.S. lived in Charlotte, and they took him to her. She'd never seen a case that bad. And when the parents came to us, we called the church to a 21-day fast. And the focus of that corporate fast, of our corporate prayers together, was the deliverance of this young man. And saints, at the end of the 21 days, the boy was completely delivered. He has a successful married family man today. Hello. This kind goes not out, but by prayer and corporate, corporate prayer and corporate fasting. I'll just throw that in. Praise the Lord. Come on. So that's important about the transfiguration and the revelation that they suddenly see Jesus on the mountain as not just the mortal man, their teacher, their rabbi, the one who is telling them what the scripture has said and now I'm going to fulfill it. No, they actually see. And 
excitingly as they wake up from their sleep. They wake up literally because suddenly there are others on the mountain with them. And they're having an audible conversation in their presence. This is not a vision. And they wake up and they see Moses and Elijah. And immediately, Peter's first reaction is to invent a new religion that has three gods. And the father says, hold on, Peter, cloud. And when the cloud moves, they see no one but Jesus only. Say no one but Jesus only. The Lord and King, the the rock, the foundation, the head of the church. No one but Jesus only. Praise the Lord. And beautifully, in the narrative of God, of course, he's testifying in advance. This is point three or 20, whichever one I'm on. But he is testifying in advance to the resurrection. That's what was happening on the mountain. Testifying of his kingdom power over all kingdoms. Revealing himself as both son of man, son of God, in truth, in material form in front of their eyes. Before he was crucified, died, and buried in the flesh. Showing he was both then. And by that, testifying in advance to the appearance of him in the resurrection, where he went about to over 500 people and was in the earth for numbers of days. And in the epistles, the, the apostles write, uh, the writers of our, of our New Testament epistles, write that there were some who saw Jesus in the resurrection before he ascended, and they saw him and were with him. This is history. As Peter says, we're not, in, in 2 Peter uh, 1.16, I believe it is, it says, we're not making up cunning fables. You know we saw him. We all saw him together in the resurrection. But Peter makes reference there to the transfiguration, saying he was God then and he is God now, and he has conquered death and hell. Amen? Come on. This is the gift that you have from the Father. You have this revelation of who Christ is. And that's why this story of the transfiguration, you should go and reread it frequently and recognize you have been called up into the mountain with him to see Christ as he is, to come down from the mountain into our communities, families, culture, churches, and engage with him and through him. Amen? So, I think... That I have so much I wanted to tell you. We are, behold, we are being transformed as we behold him as he is. Commissioned with kingdom power, which we must strive to defend. Strive to walk in. Strive to defend. Praise the Lord. The Orthodox Church of the East, beginning in the 4th century, established a feast for the Transfiguration. And this was one of the reasons the icons and the, the liturgies and the traditions, which have mostly been cast out, and certainly by, the Protestant, uh, by Protestant Christendom, but they were all things, including 
controversial as this may be to your mind, including praying the rosary was literally meant to call Christians into a meditative prayer of beholding Jesus as he is and keep that in their lives day to day. That was the origin of praying the rosary, by the way. But the feasts of the ancient church were to commemorate these very significant events. And the Feast of Transfiguration, they had a a prayer in their liturgy that went like this. O God, who on the holy mount revealed to chosen witnesses your your well-beloved son, wonderfully transfigured in raiment white and glistening, mercifully grant that we, being delivered from the disquiet and darkness of this world, may by faith behold the king in his beauty, who is with you, O our Father, and you, O Holy Spirit, who lives and reigns one God forever and ever. And this also shows in the transfiguration, it was a Trinitarian work. Jesus was there. It wasn't Moses, Jesus, and Elijah, or Peter, James, and John, and Jesus. It was Jesus, the cloud of the Holy Spirit being present, and the voice of the Father speaking. So this was a Sinai moment in the new covenant, giving forth the new law, if you will. And... So, though there are many, many other things I would like to say um, about this event, and I also would like to ask you if you have any questions. So, we will get to that in a moment. Um, But as I finalize, I want us to look at a piece of art. This is a piece of art that has just an intriguing an interesting history. First of all, it's massive. It's 15 by 5 feet big, and it's currently in the Vatican. It traveled a long way. It was originally commissioned by the man who became Pope Clement back in the 1500s, commissioned by a very famous artist, Raphael. And um, this is his depiction of the transfiguration. It took him years to paint it. He actually didn't quite finish it before his death. And in his, his final words were a request that they would bring this painting and let him look at it as he was dying. And I believe certainly not to see his works unfinished, but to assure himself that this one that he had studied so long through those years of creating this work of art was the one that he was going to be embraced by the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of heaven. And it's, it's beautiful because he shows a clear contrast between the two realms, heaven and light, if you will. That's Jesus, Moses with the tablets, Elijah over on the other side as the prophet up there, and they are all bathed in light above. So it's, it's showing the heavenly realm. But then we see the earthly realm. Below is the scene immediately in our Bibles where the father brings his, his demonized son, the little boy with a naked upper body in, the, in a blue uh, tunic on, on his lower body is, is the little boy. You can see his eyes are rolled back. I, he's obviously suffering greatly. But the glance of his eyes is upward at Jesus. And the people who are involved in this melee uh, down below the mountain, if you look at it, um, there, there are some of them who are focused on the family and the boy, 
But there are some of them who are basically with their gesturing saying, look to Jesus. The one who said, you won't taste death till you see my kingdom coming in power. And they were going to experience, as they saw it in power on the mountain, they were going to experience in real life events of that family right on earth. Praise the Lord. Um, and additionally, there's a couple of other very interesting things about this painting. It, um, the two, uh, you can see Raphael put five witnesses on the mountain. But this was typical of the art of the day. They would oftentimes include other uh, known saints or dignitaries or luminaries, particularly in the church, and they would add them in to their depictions of scriptural art. And the two fellas under the tree over there on the left-hand side, as you look at the picture, are thought to be a couple of the saints who were martyred by um, Valerian, which was a terrible time of persecution. Uh, going back to the on top of the mountain as opposed to under the mountain. Oh, but by the way, what I wanted to say is that Raphael was showing by these folks under the mountain on earth pointing to Jesus was showing that heaven and earth were actually working together in unison on that day, in that moment. So it's very powerful. Um, and, and you see that one of the disciples, the, the crowd with the boy on would be on your right-hand side. The crowd with the boy represents his family and the community. The woman, uh, some scholars say that she represents the church. Some say, no, that's his mother. But it's interesting that he painted her in so much light in comparison to all the other figures. So we, we don't know for sure um, if she's a representat re representative uh, to the church, but if she does represent the church, you can see that there is an appeal to the disciples to come up with what is needed to heal this boy as she's looking at them and pointing at her, has her hand stretched towards the boy in a plea for, for help. And um, one of the other interesting things, there are many things about it, but one of them is you see the guy on your left-hand corner, he's got a book. They were trying out of a former Revelation, the law, which has no power in it except to bind sin. They were trying from that platform, that rock, if you will, to overcome the gates of hell, but could not do it. And the other thing that's representative is, of course, because the scribes were there and they were saying, but, you know, Scripture, this and the law, this, and challenging them. And then there's one more interesting little detail. And it's this tiny, tiny point of light down here on your left-hand side. What you can't see clearly in that darkness is that's actually a body of water, and it's a reflection of the moon. And that's there because at that time, demonized persons were called lunatics after being, you know, the idea, the ancient idea that the moon had some effect on insanity and so on and so forth. So, yeah, and I didn't hardly even mention... Peter on your left on the top of the mountain, and he's, he's doing what Peter always does. He's typically depicted like this, sort of a gray, bushy-haired man with a big beard, but Peter is always the one who first says, I'll walk on water with you, or far be it from me, I'll never, you know, betray you or desert you, or blah, 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 and so he jumps right into this moment. Let's start a new religion. Moses is alive, and then the father says, hold on, no way even though there are three basilicas on Tabor, but I think they got the wrong spot, which is a big funny. Ha, 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 I think. Sorry. 
Okay, so there's Peter, and then in the middle, you see John, and typically John's adoring. He, he seems to be the one most worshipful, and, you know, in, in the descriptions of him and his own writings about himself. And so he, he's not even daring to impose himself into that moment. Peter's looking, at, but he's kind of going like this, kind of hiding his, but he's looking. John, he's just absolutely bowed in worship. He doesn't even need to look to know that his heart is joined and he sees the master as he is. And then the other guy is James, the brother, young James, who would become a martyr of the church. So, praise the Lord. Now, um, it's quite possible that rather than like that, which all of the transfiguration depictions in art show Jesus lifted up and apart from him and all that, but the Bible doesn't actually say that. It sort of gives you the impression that they would have had their fire going. They would have all been around the fire. They would have been in prayer, Jesus leading in prayer, I'm all praying together, and they all dozed off like we used to do when we kept the watch from 10 o'clock at night to five, 6 o'clock every Saturday morning. And uh, oftentimes, a lot of folks would doze off in the middle of it. And then suddenly, something would happen in the watch, and they would wake up and engage, and then God would do some wild prophetic thing like tell us that there was a terrorist bomb outside a school out in the suburbs of Paris, and we would pray, and on Monday morning, we found out that, in fact, immediately after our prayers, there was one, and the clock stuck, and the bomb didn't explode to hurt anybody, and blah, blah, blah. This kind goes not out but by prayer and fasting. So it's, but anyway, it's quite possible as you're reading it that you can imagine that they're all around the campfire and the men doze off as they're praying and Jesus lets them sleep and Moses and Elijah come in and sit down as material persons, a different material than your human body but a body like such as you will have in the resurrection. Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's what that scripture means. The same spirit that raised him from the dead will quicken your bodies. And Paul writes extensively about this seed being sown and a different kind of plant growing out of it. Come on. So that different kind of plant showed up in the prayer meeting, sitting there with Jesus, and they're talking and this is not the first time or last time that this event, that this kind of an engagement happens with Jesus. He has angels that come specifically and strengthen him in Gethsemane. So he knew his mission and how it was beginning to unfold. But now heaven's witnesses come to strengthen and encourage him. And another interesting thing about this location geographically is this is the same area where Joshua, after Moses' death, brought the children of Israel into the promised land, crossing the border, defeating the king, the strongholds at Jericho and Ai, and beginning to take possession of their inheritance. So there are so many beautiful truths about what the transfiguration tells us. Jesus is the last Joshua. And he was saying to his church, to his disciples, I, my kingdom has come in power, and now we are advancing into the earth. Praise the Lord. Say praise the Lord. Kingdom and power. So, with that, I just want to say, if you have any questions, we're going to have a moment towards the 
end of the service. But right now, we want to allow the Lord to invade our hearts, our imaginations, our rational minds, and our bodies with his presence. So stand together. Let's worship and behold him as he is. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strange. darkness of this world may by faith behold the king in his beauty who with you O father and you O holy spirit lives and reigns one god forever and ever and all the people said amen so we would like to give a couple of moments now to engage in this message this event and its significance in our lives so if you have a further question about anything you have read or thought about the transfiguration or anything that I have said I want you to be thinking about that and as you're thinking about that because we have microphones I think that we have a little Mary do we have something a little report from Children's Church today or is that going to be next week Next week, okay. One of the things that we also, you've noticed, we're changing up our format a bit. So you need to come to church because it's exciting. And um, one of the things that we are going to additionally do in this kind of format, and this is 
intended to be ongoing, is that we are also going to engage our children and let them let us know how their journey is going and what's happening there. So that just like heaven and earth coming together, moms and dads and seniors and elders and all that and our kiddos, we're going to come together in, more, uh, in a more cohesive and beautiful way. So, so here we go. Armand, do you have a question, a comment? You may be seated. I think I can still do this and not make too many mistakes. Um, I find it interesting that you would speak to us today about the transfiguration in our climate in the United States of America with the transformers. Because what? And you even said it, you alluded to it in 1 John 3, 2. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, which is the big problem that we see. Their identity is lost because there's no revealed Christ to them, so they can't see it. So they're in complete confusion and don't know where to land, and they're going all over the place. So I feel like as the church, man, the more we can show Jesus... That's their solution, you know. The solution has always been the church to our society. So the more we're out there like we saw today with the, with the schools, that is just absolutely amazing. And I just, I just think it's awesome that you would, you would bring that today. So thank you so much. Wow, Armin, thank you. And what a great point, obviously, in terms of this, this new question. And I believe that the transgender uh, problem is coupled together with the... Uh, the, these last 50 years of celebrating abortion because what we're talking about is the annihilation of created woman, period, right. on both of these issues. And I believe they marry together. Listen, God himself, when he chose to be a human, needed a mother, a natural mother, that in natural processes has the unique mirroring neurons and the symbiosis built in there chemically to conceive and bring forth life in her womb. So this is what we're up against, and you're absolutely right. When we see him as he is, it clarifies everything else. Amen? Thank you, Armin. That was great. Another question? Anybody? Oh, come on, Mary. So it's, it's been brought up in my hearing and thinking, the idea of how Sunday school was begun was to teach the children how to read because during the Industrial Revolution, they had to go in and work, and so they couldn't go to school any longer. So Sunday school was created as a way to teach them to read, and they used scripture to do that. And just thinking through what it has become, and thinking even with Armin's question, um, we have turned it into a series of stories instead of history. And so over the last year, you have brought in more of a classical approach to teaching us scripture, and that you have interwoven it more with historical context and showing how art reflected the Lord more than 
how art reflects now. And so just thinking through, do you think more of a um, classical approach interweaving history and scripture as history and art and even science because we've separated as the church and made science its own God instead of from God? And back to Armin's question, you know, if people have a true historical understanding of God in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created. You know, if our theology doesn't understand that, then we, the rest is skewed. Do you think that would perhaps solve a lot of problems even within the Protestant church? Absolutely. I, I mean, it's, you know, it's plain as day, and I think that, that what you're speaking of is what the Bible in advance has spoken to, of, even Daniel and the beasts that were rising. To, to become the uh, formers and conformers of men's minds and governmental systems and societal ways, so on and so forth. But our New Testament epistles, absolutely including Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> including Jesus, be careful that you're not deceived. Because as we approach the end of the age and the appearing of the Lord, many deceivers will enter into cultural influence. Don't be deceived. And so where do we stay undeceived is by seeing Christ as he is and recognizing in the beginning the word was God and with God. And he created them male and female in the beginning. So there are simple things that uh, illuminate once again the precious value to be contended for is the revelation that you possess of Christ as he truly is. The son of God, the Lord of glory, whose kingdom and dominion and glory shall not pass away, and to whom all other dominions will bow and fail. Praise the Lord. So, gosh, Mary, there, there, there are so many things. The, on the cultural thing and historically, it's quite possible. If you look at uh, seasons in the world, say, for instance, the French Revolution, and it is there's so much reflective of what's happening in America right now that spiritually and culturally, in a way, even linguistically, and certainly in terms of the rebellion to throw off absolutely every tradition of cultural, you know, foundation that we've been built on. Here's the thing about the new radicals in every age. They try to destroy the very foundation that has given them the liberty and knowledge to stand on. And so in a way, each new revolution kills itself. There is one in history that is indeed unique in the nations, and that is the American Revolution, which has in all of its historical writings and in the lives of the persons involved from start to finish, a connection specifically to Genesis 1, in the beginning, God, created male and female. So, uh, powerful, yes, and amen to all of that. And we do need, if, if our kids do not, if we do not know history, and we are in a period right now that's very much like the French Revolution. Very much like the French Revolution. And it's a very dangerous thing, and I'm going to tell you, the end of it is fatal. But Jesus said on Tabor, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Amen. And he said on Hormon, I am the king of glory. 
the one spoken of in Psalm 2 and Psalm 8. And the father came and said, this is the guy. Listen to him. And they came down and demonstrated the kingdom and power and glory on that very day. So, praise the Lord. And Mary, we're, we're so thankful that you heard years ago the prophetic word of the Lord. And out of your own mother's concern for your own children and their educational, mental, emotional, and moral development, you gave yourself to the particular form, the classical uh, curriculum, classical education, that you are a leader in this community now. And many lives you have transformed. And I will tell you, those people, those kids, boys and girls, male and female, will be the next generation's leaders. They will be the culture influencers. Yeah. Praise the Lord. And one of the silver linings of COVID is that parents everywhere have suddenly realized what they're actually being taught and influenced by humanists, secularists, yeah. transgender, uh, you know, peoples with perversion, darkened minds because they have no light of Christ. And parents are recovering their children and their children's education. And one of the forms they're turning to is the classical one that you are engaged in and are speaking to us about. So it is important. There, obviously, there are other things that we could say. Science. Someone said, if science says all the world, all truth is material, then you should ask the question, show me a two. No, you can show me a symbol. You can show me how a two works. You cannot point materially. Is it true? Is it too true? Does a true exist? No one has ever seen a two. They've seen a symbol of a two. Do you see what I'm saying? <laughs> right? So even science itself, it doesn't have all the answers, and God forbid. Now we are entering a, a, a period like, go and reread Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. We're entering into a period with AI and all of the nanobiology dynamics and all of this of the possibility of creating, and, and what's the famous thing where Frankenstein, cry, I mean the monster, cries out to the one that has created him, and he says, you have made me a man out of clay and given me no soul or something. I mean, but he, he really, Armin, you'll have to go look that up and, and bring that next week if we talk about this again. But Frank, uh, the monster in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein actually makes a prophetic declaration about the possible end of AI and all of this quote-unquote scientific manipulation of creating human beings. We'll get monsters. And I contend that in the face of all the greats, and I, I'm thankful for technology, but even the Industrial Revolution, because the Industrial Revolution, as you know, was the first thing to actually demean the value of women in society because it moved them and their children out of the home. It used to be cottage industry, and that was one of the main economic drivers of, of society. And in that place, the woman, the Proverbs 30 woman, was at the center of this economic powerhouse dynamic in addition to nurturing the next generation who would go into the workforce, so on and so forth. And the Industrial Revolution, the advance of technology, did absolutely wonderful things. But two of the negatives is that it completely demeaned and, in some cases, took the woman out of that place in the home as a valuable piece of building uh, present and future society. So, there you go. More questions.
Oh, Dennis. Yeah, um, there's something I've been observing for a while, and I'm, I feel like I'm one of the older persons now. I mean, my, I take my hair off, it's all green. I resemble that remark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what I think, do you think that um, what's happening now in society somewhere, somehow is a failure of, of um, proper parenting, especially for Christian parenting? Oh, amen. I think it's obvious. Okay. And there are a number of pressures. And some of those pressures are the cultural drift, and including in the church, away from marriage as a sacrament, where marriage was seen as all the sacraments, including the Lord's Supper, of something manifest in human flesh, in our natural tusk touch, taste, feel, see realm that was demonstrating a spiritual truth or a spiritual reality. And when the sacramental nature of marriage began to be disseminated, and certainly, I mean, it, was, it happened, you know, in many forms, but one of the most radical for the West was the 60s free love thing. Interestingly enough, that is exactly what was happening prior to the French Revolution. That was the thing that ushered in this whole quote-unquote enlightenment, age of reason, that ended up being fatal to a lot of people and to what were previously potentially republic-free societies eventually. Um, I got so excited I you know, threw myself out. But when marriage ceased to be a sacrament, sacred, and, and demonstrated and supported uniquely, not just in the church, but in society. And the 60s free love movement in America was the major uh, earthquake that, that created a cultural fault line. And by the way, a lot of those 60s radicals are the old white-headed people on the left that are ruling our nation now in the bureaucracies and in the elected offices and we need to have a threshing floor sweep because they don't have the revelation of the light of Christ nor hold sanctity for him as the one who said every other kingdom and dominion and power and all the beasts are going to fail amen Ed I'd just like to make a comment because uh, a lot of things that what you have been saying today, we've been talking about, the Lord's uh, been speaking to me about recently. And in the watch, um, we talked about distractions of the time that we're in. And uh, one of the things the Lord spoke to me, he said, I'm speaking to you, and I feel like that was a corporate word, not just me, but I'm speaking to you the same word that I was speaking to Adam and Eve in the garden, and that is not to eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And so um, one of the things the Lord showed me, he says, um, uh, when your source is, is of life is knowledge, you expect God to be on your side. When your source is relationship, then there are no sides, only God. Why don't you quote that to us again? <laughs> and you wrote that, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, when your source of life is knowledge, you expect God to be on your side. When your source is relationship, then there are no sides, only God. Wow. 
And I feel good. like that's where we get distracted as we get caught up yeah. in what's good and evil and light and darkness and all that. And even in the transfiguration, it was the light. And then on the mount, uh, beneath the mountain, they were using the old knowledge that they had. To, and Jesus came and changed all that. Yeah. So it's all about relationship. That's powerful. Thank you, Ed. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. And my last comment, and then we will transition to communion and some body ministry, would be specifically on that unique saying about do not eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I suggest to you that it was a direct uh, reference to the fact that God had given man the power, freedom, and ability to make his own choices. And in that moment, what he needed to do was choose to allow God to have the final say on that decision. And both Eve and Adam chose their decision over what God had already said. This is my choice. Now what's yours? Say, behold him. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. To order more great resources by Bonnie Chavda, visit us at chavdaministries.org. For a full catalog of our products, you can call us at 1-800-730-6264. God bless you.